Welcome to the Authentic Life Podcast. My name is Satwa and I'm here to help you seek, speak, and live your truth daily. This podcast is for the sincere spiritual seeker who is ready to explore the deeper, sometimes uncomfortable truths of their psyche and spirit without the spiritual bypassing. I'm here to empower you with the psychological teachings and spiritual insights to help you live your most authentic life. Warning, you will get triggered, you will feel uncomfortable, you will be challenged, and that, Seeker, is where your journey begins. I'm so excited to share this space with you. Thanks for pressing play. Let's begin. Hi, Seeker. Welcome back. Welcome to this episode of the Authentic Life Podcast. Today we're going to talk about, drumroll, pseudoscience or fake science, con science, whatever you want to call it. I'm a little bit sick, so you have to excuse my voice. Um, It might actually be COVID. I'm waiting for my test, which will suck because that wasn't part of the plan. Anyway, uh yeah i'm i so this topic was inspired this week um because somebody asked me about what i think about dr joe dispenza and i damn near lost my shit when i heard that name (laughs) so i went on this tirade um about con man's uh and cult dynamics and how science is weaponized to uh, bamboozle people. And it's such a delicate topic because, well, first of all, I, I'm a huge science nerd and I'm also a spiritual seeker and I always try to harmonize the two because actually I don't, I think science and spirituality are one in the same. And to be able to integrate the two takes discernment, which is something I also talk about and talked about this week in my Instagram posts and gave some very clear examples of what discernment means and how important it is, um, especially when it comes to our beliefs. Because no matter what we believe or why we believe it, It really comes down to how we believe it, which we can believe through the lens of discernment, which, you know, makes space for context and nuance and perspective and shades of gray and also makes space for the greater unknown. Or we can believe through the lens of dogma, which is very rigid, very very black and white, and um, very dangerous when it comes to being indoctrinated into a cult. And that could even just be a cult party of one, you know, you and your own cult with your belief system. So, So circling back to why pseudoscience is such an important part of this is because 
Well, science uses very specific kind of language to um, to describe, you know, experiences, describe phenomena. And for most people, you know, lay people, including myself, we're not like even I as much as I consider myself a scientist, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not like a, a neuroscientist, like doing complex research in a lab I'm not an I'm not a a epigenetic scientist you know I'm not like I'm not this expert in in science I'm not as well versed right I do know research really well because I studied research so I can discern good science from bad science but if somebody tells me about some chemical compound right I'm, and I, and I think they're an expert like i'm going to i'm going to believe them <laughs> because i'm just not versed in that area so science becomes a way for people to weaponize and to um you know to to weaponize our ignorance so to speak so anyway really long intro there but today i want to talk about pseudoscience and um, I want to highlight some elements of pseudoscience and some red flags to look out for so that, you know, if, if somebody is throwing scientific jargon at you and you don't really know the discipline that they're talking about, there's still some ways that we can be discerning of whether or not what they're saying is complete bullshit or if it's grounded in some truth. And um, yes, yeah, so how, how, how we can spot the red flags and, and how we can familiarize ourselves with the deception tactics that fake scientists use and how we can detect them um, just in terms of what to look out for. And like I said, I have a background in research. I served in academia for over 10 years. Both of my master's degrees are heavily, heavily research-based. I've, you know, co-authored and and published in peer-reviewed journals. So I'm pretty familiar with the scientific process. And that's not to say that I know everything about it. Of course not. Um, But I am comfortable enough to, to talk about it and to point out that, um, you know, all this to say is to point out that even with a scientific background and, and my training, you know, I got carried away going back to Joe Dispenza, you know, I got carried away by his work when I was um, reading it and, and heavily into that. And I really believed it, not because I, not because I thought it made a a whole lot of sense because, you know, my logical mind kind of knew that a lot of it was just like a bunch of bogus, but I I wanted to believe it. I wanted to believe it so bad. And I was really married to some of my beliefs. And that's what I was going, that's what I was talking about in the beginning is that it's not about what you believe or why, it's how you believe it, right? And and when we are not disturbing, our beliefs become our dogma. And that is what I notice so much about the law of attraction, the new age circle, because, 
even though what it seems like they're preaching love and light and growth and transformation and healing and all this is you know it seems like it's assuming to be good for you but the beliefs themselves are approached in such a dogmatic way that it traps us and I you know being a scientist um, ignored the red flags I ignored my logical mind and I was lying to myself and I was willing to be lied to and that's how powerful these deceptive tactics are and that's how we get conned and persuaded and indoctrinated into an ideology anything can become an ideology and that's what these pseudoscientists really are selling um, to us and they really know how to do it they know <laughs> how to bamboozle us they, they're actually really great marketers and um you know they know our journey they know our avatar like they call us which is a weird thing to call people but it's marketing language right your ideal client avatar your niche so like it's just creepy how much they study us and you know they to study us they, they study our journey they know how to appeal to our emotions through compelling storytelling and they use science as part of that practice and I'm exploring this a lot deeper with my email community these few weeks Um, I'm going really deep into the qualities of a con artist the strategies the tactics that they use and all the cognitive biases that they appeal to in us and so if, um, if that interests you, you should definitely sign up for my email list if you're not already. So anyway, what is pseudoscience? I just realized I didn't even give like a definition. So pseudoscience is a term used to describe a claim that is supposed to be a product of science but is not based on empirical evidence. Empirical evidence really important to understand that and for something to be empirical it needs to meet the four following conditions number one it follows the standards set forth by the scientific method which is a six-step framework that outlines the process of conducting an experiment number two there needs to be full transparency in the research methods and the procedures that are used because the results of a study need to be replicable in order to be valid. So replicability, number three, is, is when another scientist goes in and is able to conduct the same experiment using your exact same methods and procedures and they would obtain pretty much the same results with very little variability but more or less the same. And number four, the findings are peer-reviewed, meaning that it's gone through your research, your your ideas, your hypothesis, your methods that you use has gone through a rigorous process 
of reviewing and validating your results by the scientific community of experts in your field. So pseudoscience misses one or more of these conditions. And in a lot of cases, it misses all of these conditions because it either doesn't involve the standard procedures for conducting an experiment or um, all of the material and the equipment used is produced by one person or their team or a network of people that are affiliated with them, which what is what uh, Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza does. Um, or there is no peer-reviewed research involved. There's a lack of transparency in the study procedures. It leaves out really you know, important information, which makes it impossible to replicate the results or impossible to disprove the findings. And another thing is that they just make up words or terms that are not used by other scientists in their respective field. So they just, they blatantly ignore the actual science that contradicts their views. So for example, Dr. Joe Dispenza, because I'm just on my rant with him this week. By the way, he's a chiropractor and he, he uses this title to self-proclaim being a neuroscientist where, you know, most neuroscientists, like it's not just something that you call yourself because you've read, you're interested in this, in the subject like that. Most neuroscientists are PhDs, you know, they are involved in some graduate level, PhD level research, and they're constantly publishing in their field. So the fact that he self-proclaims this already itself is a red flag. And relatedly, he's super vague about his credentials too, like there's no info on what his bachelor's degree is in it just says bachelor's of science like why would you withhold that information you know it's shady um it says like his postdoctorate training is in neuroscience and neuroplasticity but again like most neuroscientists would agree that these credentials alone don't make someone a neuroscientist and and finally my favorite part is that his chiropractic degree is from life university which is not even accredited anymore. It lost its accreditation um, due to like insufficient training. So there's a lot of red flags there. Um, You know, just the fact that he's clearly inflating his credentials, I would say that he purposefully, he's intentionally uh, misleading which which would make him which would make him a con artist. So, you know, maybe we can give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he just has this like deeply he believes in what he's saying and he's just deeply programmed by the cult that he studied under. Um, but the fact that he's very clearly inflating his credentials, like he knows what this motherfucker knows what he's doing. I'm just gonna go with the fact that he's a con artist. Um, so, and if you look into his research, most of his findings, most of his quote-unquote research articles are published by the HeartMath Institute, which is a nonprofit organization that has its own journal in which the editors are also the scientific advisors. I mean, that, you know, that's a conflict of interest. 
right? So like somebody had sat, somebody sent me this angry message saying I should look up Joe Dispenza's scientific advisory. It's like his, you mean his friends? Um, and I did actually, I did. <laughs> and it's like some guy named Doc Childs. His name is Doc. His actual name is Doc. Like he's not a doctor. That's just his name. Um, he has no medical training or relevant credentials. There's this, some other guy, Roland McCready or whatever. He has some impressive list of memberships. But if you actually dig into the memberships, it's like really fishy. Like what what the hell is Pavlovian society? What What is um, the American autonomic society? You know, why do you have to pay $300 a month membership to get access to their subscription to, to see what the stuff that they're publishing? Like... That's not re- real research. Real research is like very, very transparent, as transparent as possible. So this, this is not legit, right? Literally anyone can create a society or an NGO and, and fabricate their way through. I mean, just look at Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos who created a multi-billion dollar fraudulent tech company. Like this shit happens, so, you know, most people are, are not going to go through the painstaking effort of looking up every, every single board member or the legitimacy of every organization that a person is affiliated with, right? Most people just take this stuff at face value. And I don't blame them. Like, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of time. It's like, who has, who has time for that? Um... But the good thing is that you don't have to go through this taxing research process to determine if someone is a real scientist or a fake scientist. If you know some red flags to look out for, I'm sure there are many, many red flags, um, but I have identified five that we're going to go get into here. So number one. Quick fix solutions. I think the biggest red flag is when someone offers quick fix solutions to complex problems that just seem too good to be true. If it's too good to be true, you know, there's a chance that it might be true. There's a slight chance, but for the most part, if if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Um, and this is this is related to using science to make wildly unsubstantiated claims. So fake scientists have a tendency to avoid complexity. And they do this with simple solutions, right? They offer simple, feel-good solutions to complex problems. And it's not just one solution to one problem. I'm sorry, it's not just... It's not just a simple solution to one problem. It's a simple solution to many, many problems. It's a it's a simple solution. Blah, blah. It's a simple solution for many problems. Yeah. I don't know why I just tripped up on that. So for example, you know, they'll say, oh, this is a magic pill, an essential oil, a meditation practice, a you know, a, uh, um, I don't know, an essential oil 
And it's going to solve a host of problems like weight loss. No, not just weight loss, headaches and also acne and also insomnia and back pain and depression and anxiety. I mean, (laughs) they have this tendency to like lump all of these conditions together because these are really, really common issues. I mean, who doesn't suffer with an insomnia at some point or acne or weight loss or depression or anxiety right they're very it's like a horoscope like such very common issues that people can experience at any point in their lives and they just let it kind of throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks because someone is bound to be like oh yeah I suffer from adult acne you know, and also I have anxiety. It must be because I have all of these toxins in my body that this one vitamin is going to help flush out. Well, first of all, like what the hell are toxins? Like what, that is just so vague, right? Like these vague, ambiguous words, uh, uh, buzzwords, v- also a red flag to look out for. And secondly, there's no way to control for other variables in that scenario. So let's say a person takes this vitamin and their, I don't know, their headache might actually improve or their acne might actually improve. And they subconsciously, you know, already believe in this vitamin. They're already like so sold on this vitamin. They might also, you know, just be so motivated to to heal themselves which is a great thing and then what happens is you know the placebo effect kicks in and because they're so motivated to to be better they might start adopting other behaviors you know like not eating like shit in the morning or um you know they drink more water or they started exercising and lo and behold right you start to notice some positive effects and when you really really want to believe that the positive effect is because of this one thing you will subconsciously rearrange and restructure your environment your physical environment as well as your inner environment in a way that optimizes your chance that those beliefs will be confirmed confirmation bias this is how powerful beliefs are because they are so intimately tied to our emotions which are just as powerful and we'll talk about that in a moment because that's what trips us up like I said in the beginning you know I was so married to my beliefs about the mind-body connection um, that which of course like I still believe in the mind-body connection, of course, but I'm just a lot more grounded about it. I believe in what it is and I also believe in what it's not and I have discernment to know the difference because discernment is one of my highest values where in the past it wasn't. I valued my intuition and my feelings and my own personal experience over discernment and critical thinking and I think a a really nice place to be is not one or the other but an integration of all of them right where my intuition and my feelings and my personal experience are integrated with my discernment and my critical thinking and that's just where I evolved to be because at the time that I really believed in this stuff 
my truth was most important above all else because I was deep in my healing process and all of my energy and my effort was directed towards that. And there's really no mistake in that. Like I made a lot of mistakes, sure, but I'm always going to make mistakes. It's part of the process, right? The difference is now that I can make better mistakes and better in a sense that You know, my mistakes offer a lot more room for complexity and nuance in my life, which is what makes life so beautiful. Context and nuance, they reflect a much more expanded way of experiencing the world, more textured, more layered, more depth, right? So the mistakes that I make within that complexity allow for so much more growth and learning and healing and also connection and life takes on a different quality of beauty when we make room for those complexities and for those nuances and not the quick fix solutions that's like junk food it's very satisfying in the moment and then it just fades and you crash and you feel like shit And, you know, it can be good on some occasions, certain occasions it can work, sure, and they can certainly have time and place, but again, they lack that real depth and complexity that is a lot more true to life. And that's the exact ingredients of good science. Good science is never about the quick fix. And a good scientific experiment will try to get as close as possible to the objective truth while controlling for as many confounding variables that might interfere with the results as possible, including our own cognitive biases. That's why the scientific process exists, and I respect the shit out of it because seeking the truth is as scientific as it is spiritual. To me, like I said, they're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. So ignoring one is a disservice to the other. And that is that is this balance that, that's so beautiful, right? It's striking that balance of not just one and done, but, you know, the integration the constant flux, um, the, the changing, the complexity, the nuances, the aliveness, right? It's life and how we get and how we navigate the known against the great unknown is this practice of discernment, which is, you know, a beautiful concept in non-duality as well as in science because both encompass that complexity of life, Right? Discernment helps us to navigate those complexities with grace and with humility. And you, you know, like I said, like even everything can become dogma. Even science can become dogma. Science, science can also be very cultish. No doubt about that. I mean, academia is one of the biggest mainstream <laughs> cults there is. And I got so disillusioned and burnt out by academia because I didn't have that balance because I was disconnected from myself and my spirituality and that was a big catalyst for my own spiritual journey um which was fine but you know then I went into the other extreme which is what's that's what tends to happen right 
And it's just now I'm coming back in this full circle moment where I'm I'm going back into academia, but with a new perspective so I can make better mistakes that will contribute to my growth. So all this to say, be wary of solutions that offer a panacea to multiple complex problems. Be discerning, learn how to hold nuance and paradox, and don't get bamboozled by oversimplified quick fix solutions. So, you know, I'll give you an example here, and we'll move on to the next point, but just saying something simple like, Thinking positive thoughts can reprogram your DNA and cure chronic illness, right? That's so incredibly, it's like some Joe Dispenza bullshit. so incredibly oversimplified and reductionistic. It takes concepts from these really complex and huge disciplines like neuroscience and epigenetics, which, you know, by the way, are still in their infancy. It uses this one small grain of truth to dress it up with exaggerated benefits and and fake science, right? Real science is never that simple. So these oversimplified, generic, ambiguous statements that seem so appealing because they promise a magical cure is a huge red flag. Real science does not care about being appealing, feel good, or any of that. So I bring up this, um, this one point, this clarity, this point of clarity, you know, that's the difference between saying that the mind-body connection can help us understand certain long-term chronic diseases versus the mind-body connection can uh, reprogram our DNA and cure long-term chronic diseases, right? There's a very important difference in that. So that's how it, it takes a grain of truth. Like, yes, like our cells are highly adaptable. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know much about epigenetics. But like, I know that, yes, our cells are highly adaptable and can be mutated. But I there's no scientific evidence to show that we can reprogram our DNA to cure disease. I mean, that is like such breakthrough medicine, right? Like that's... Like we can cure cancer with that. And as far as I know, there has not been a cure for cancer. You see, so they take a grain of truth and they exaggerate it. So watch out. Watch out for these oversimplified explanations that seem too good to be true. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Number two. Fake scientists never want their research challenged which is related to the third point, which is that they are not taken seriously by the scientists in their respective fields. So huge red flag when someone gets really defensive when you start poking holes in their theories and their research or, their cho- or they choose to ignore the actual science that contradicts their views. I've had so many encounters like this with these LOA holistic psychologist um, people, they, they, you know, you you criticize one point and they just like get mad, right? Block you, get defensive. And that is like a huge red flag. Like if you want to test someone's integrity, like just challenge them and see how they respond. 
In actual science, there's no scenario where your work is not being criticized. In fact, real scientists want to have their research challenged. That's what the whole like defending your dissertation is all about. Any real scientist would be ready, readily, readily acknowledge, would readily acknowledge that there are plenty of mistakes in science. You know, you you need to make mistakes in science because you need to rule out all possible explanations to find the truth, to find what works. And it's a misconception to think that science is there to prove something. There is no proof. Science is simply about getting us closer and closer to the truth. It's about being as less wrong as possible. And again, we get closer to the truth while protecting that truth against our own cognitive biases. No study is 100% perfect. But if you follow the steps of the scientific method, then, you know, the outcome of it might not be great science. There's still shitty science out there, but there it's not pseudoscience, right? There's a difference between shitty science and pseudoscience. Pseudoscience is that... Uh, is that quality of trying to, um, you know, design your research to give them, to give you the results that you want, as opposed to, you know, shitty science, which is not going to, you know, produce some miracle outcomes, but, you know, you're still at least trying to determine an objective truth about the world. Right, and you're controlling for all of these variables. So there's a standard, right? There's a standard of procedure for collecting evidence that exists for a reason. And, you know, these pseudoscientists, like they they don't follow that, so their results can't be replicated. And it's a big reason why they say that like what they, I don't know what they, the excuses that they've made like their claims are beyond the reach of science right when they're trying to prove the existence of God like it's just, it becomes this like impossible argument because they say like well you know I Mike you're it's beyond the reach of science like well yeah duh but that doesn't really say much right or science doesn't have tools to measure the thing I'm talking about well okay but that doesn't that still doesn't mean that what you're saying is valid scientifically or we don't need to test this product because we already have the proof like red flags everywhere which it brings us to number 3 this is the reason why they're not taken seriously or they're largely ignored by their peers in their scientific community in the in the scientific community of their field so if you want to know somebody's legitimacy, just see like what are the other scientists saying about their work? Because real science is accomplished by teams of people who have been researching an issue for decades. So how likely is it that this one person is going to come along, discover some secret or magic pill, and you know, their peers are just going to blatantly ignore it, Right? Like, if we had a cure for cancer, don't you think more people would know about it? Don't you think, like, we, that would be a big deal and more people would be, would be healed? 
Or are we going to go with the conspiracy theory that mainstream media and big pharma wants to keep people sick? And, and that the, the, the fault in that thinking, like I'm not a you know mainstream media big pharma proponent myself, but there's a really big fault in that kind of thinking. And the mistake there is when people, when people mistake stakeholder interests or interests of prioritized groups with scientists, with individual scientists, because scientists are not the millionaires of this world. Most will be lucky if they reach a near six-figure income in their entire lifetime. Okay, the work of a scientist is incredibly rigorous and unrewarding in terms of wealth, fun, fame, popularity, recognition. They're not recognized. And it's, it's such painstaking work. I mean, there's a reason why I, I dropped out of academic research because you choose a subject, you fall into a hole because it's just like never ending, right? There is no solution. So it's like this, you just fall into a hole and that becomes your life. So unless you really, really, really love your chosen field and you want to contribute to that field, you will not last a day in that environment. So for some quack job to, to, to come in and hijack a grain of truth from your years of research just to make some exaggerated claims and sell people a very unsatisfactory and vague solution to a complex problem is not just disrespectful to the scientists, but also to the entire field of science and not to mention it's a huge disservice to humanity it's it's intellectual dishonesty and and an abuse of of science of, of scientific concepts number four profit pseudoscientists are doing research to make money okay they're not doing it to help people and again i'm talking about individual scientists here right the ones who are in their lab coats day and night, whose work we will never hear about, who do not get recognized for their work. Okay, we, we have this tendency to try to find a hero in every story, right? Like behind every Steve Jobs is an entire team of scientists that we will never know about who are largely underpaid and undervalued for their work. But I am willing to guess that they are incredibly fulfilled to know that they have contributed to humanity because they were never in it for the money and the fame in the first place, okay? Real scientists don't have this motive of money and fame otherwise they would have chosen a different profession like that you don't you don't get you don't get rich and famous in science in this field of science our society is not set up like that so if a scientist a quote-unquote scientist is rich and famous i would say that's a red flag okay it's not to automatically discount them but you should probably investigate into how their work has been critiqued by their peers and also the profit models that they use to get rich because any any kind of helping profession where you're in it to help people if if you're getting rich like if you're going into it with this motivation to you know manifest this 
multi-bajillion dollar mega empire, unless you are willing to use some unethical profit models to to do your business, um, there's a conflict of interest there anytime you're in a helping profession, right? Because if you're using unethical business models to help people, are you really helping them? Okay, so rich, famous, scientist, ah, there's dissonance there. Investigate into it. Number five, lastly, be wary of people who rely on personal narratives and anecdotal advice or evidence um, that is, you know, that they use as proof. So it's, that's not scientific, okay? Like personal narratives, anecdotal evidence is not scientific. What it is, is purely a predatory marketing strategy. And it's predatory because it appeals to our emotions and discourages us from critical thinking, okay? It uses very compelling narratives to capture our emotions, to weaponize our emotions, especially emotions like fear, anxiety, loneliness, right? This, it's, um, it's, it's this notion of, you know, if I can do it, if I can heal myself through this magic pill, through this positive thinking, so can you, right? This is the anecdotal evidence, or they bring up these testimonials of people who have, you know, achieved the, the impossible, right? What, what is his slogan? Um, Joe Dispenza, uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things or whatever. It's not that ordinary people can't do extraordinary things. It's that this is an inconsistent comparison. Saying that just because this person did it, you can too, is not a consistent way of comparing two outcomes because all of the variables are, are not controlled for. Right. If I can do it, you can too. It completely ignores the reality that people have very different circumstances, and some for some people it's much harder than others. Right. This it's it's possible for me, so it's possible for you. It ignores the fact that we don't all have access to the same resources and opportunities, or time. So people who say this either are trying to capture your emotions so that you can bypass your critical thinking or they just lack awareness of how other people live and what obstacles that other people might face that might prevent them from succeeding or might make it much more difficult for them to achieve the same things. Right, We don't all have the same upbringing. We don't all have the same life story or the same strengths and weaknesses. We don't have the same genes. We don't have the same wiring in our nervous system. And in fact, it would be a really, really boring world if we did. So it's not surprising then that the majority of people who use this narrative of if I can do it, you can too 
are the ones who sit high up on the privilege ladder in society. And they just blatantly fail, I don't know, consciously or unconsciously, they fail to acknowledge the social and structural limitations on how, on success and how we are treated. So what these people have to rely on is personal narrative. And the more emotionally charged they can make these narratives, you know, a near-death accident or being diagnosed with some terminal illness, doctor said that I wouldn't live past six months, you know, the more emotionally charged the stories are, the more they capture our emotions and the more easily persuaded we are when we are emotional because when we're emotional when we're flooded with emotion the executive functioning part of our brain shuts down we're in we are in a emotionally charged inner environment right and we're desperate to uh to seek some order some sense of stability and control And so when somebody offers us a quick fix solution and we're in this kind of, you know, destabilizing emotional uh, uh, inner environment, we are more likely to jump on it, to believe it, to be persuaded by it. This goes for everyone, right? Nobody is exempt from this. This is just human nature. (laughs) Everybody can can fall for this at different points in their life right we've all felt discombobulated at some point we've all had the experience of you know getting the rug pulled from underneath us or you know life throwing a big wrench in the matrix right these really destabilizing situations where um you know or something like traumatic right a death a divorce like situations where we were questioning questioning our reality and we don't know what's real and we are we become this like open you know vessel for information to just like pour in and there are people who are waiting because they've been they know your avatar right there are people who are just waiting for you to reach that point so that they can come in and they can weaponize all of that use it against you and make you buy shit so um what else did i want to say about that there was one more point that i wanted to make about personal narratives and why they are not a good the effective way to oh oh right so so personal narratives another point is um that they don't they don't um account for the possibility of unlikely and atypical outcomes so unlikely an unlikely outcome will happen if there's enough times that something happens over and over and over again and i'll give you an example so this is a real statistic 99 percent of people who invest in mlm multi-level marketing and pyramid businesses 99% of them lose money, but it works for that 1%. And if you think about, you know, if, if, 
if 99,000 out of 100,000 people lose money, but 1,000 people are successful, right? This is an atypical, unlikely outcome. Then all it takes is for those 1,000 people to write raving testimonial and now it looks legit and we believe that because we have something called the base rate fallacy which is a type of cognitive bias where we ignore the prevalence of something in favor of individual information instead of integrating the two and and considering context and nuance and being discerning so you know any time that um i've ever challenged someone on their if i can do it you can too belief they're so quick to point out you know how they've done it or how their students have done it but of course we don't hear about the thousands of people you know or the 99 percent. i mean that's a high number the 99 percent of people who they haven't helped right they just stick to that one percent um and that's why they get so super defensive about it which it goes again it goes to that that point where you know they don't want to be challenged there's a lack of transparency there and and the reason why they do this is so that you know, you can lie to yourself or, or or they can lie to you or they can facilitate you lying to yourself. So, okay, well, I'm getting tired of speaking. So let's wrap this up. I'm going to give you four deception strategies that pseudoscientists or fake scientists use. And I also did a video of this on Instagram, but I will repeat it here to kind of tie a bow on everything that we talked about. So four deception tactics used in law of attraction. And this isn't just applying to law of attraction. This is just like a good lesson on critical thinking, which can be applied to, you know, so many other industries where some of these same tactics are applied, right? The the wellness industry at large, the 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 food industry or like the organic food industry the beauty industry right all of these industries that are you know so desperate to be to set themselves apart and some of them are based in really good grounded science but a lot of it is also just fluff and so you know these are kind of common deception tactics that can be used um, in a way that, you know, weaponizes or uses our ignorance against us. So number one is using ambiguous language to make generic statements that don't say anything beyond what is implied. This is also called a truism or a self, um, self-evident self truth where, you know, an example of this is the grass is greener on the other side you know these like kind of cliche statements that are generic they're they're ambiguous so for an example of this in law of attraction is positive thoughts are better than negative ones right that's a very ambiguous claim because positive and negative and better can mean different things 
for different people in different contexts at different times. And in fact, we know that, you know, excessive, um, excessive positive thinking is actually can be quite harmful. Number two is citing results that are atypical or fall outside normal distribution of outcomes. So this is kind of going back to that point of using isolated facts or anecdotal evidence as proof. So, you know, somebody who says that they manifested a lot of money using LOA principles, law of attraction principles, well, that's an atypical outcome and that's likely due to a combination of other factors like luck and and privilege that they're not being transparent about or they're not considering. Number three is making unsubstantiated claims that are assumed to be correct but have not been scientifically validated. So for example, saying law of attraction itself, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but that itself is an unsubstantiated claim phrase claim because for something to be a law there needs to be a cause and effect that must always apply in a repeated experimental condition but LOA has has never been tested in that way and that's why they rely so much on anecdotal evidence and personal narrative and you know storytelling and lastly they take a grain of truth and they exaggerated to be intentionally misleading. So going back to that example that I used earlier, you know, the difference between saying that the mind-body connection can help us understand chronic disease versus a grain of truth, the mind-body connection, and then an exaggerated claim, you know, can alter our DNA and cure chronic illness. I did it, so can you. You know, so... Look out for these red flags. Um, And that's it. That is it, Seeker. I hope you found this helpful. I hope that it serves to guide your critical thinking and your practice of discernment. Um, And I'll just leave you with um, the wisdom of, you know, being in the unknown. I think I think a lot of times why we hanker after these quick fix solutions is because we are deathly afraid of the unknown, right? It's such a scary place for the ego to be. And it's so incredibly, um, you know, uh, challenging for the ego to say, to, to be in the unknown, to admit that, you know, there are, there is, we are operating within this larger unknown and we can get as close as possible to the truth using science, using inquiry, right? We can integrate all of these different philosophies and and disciplines to get us as close to the truth, as intimate as possible to the nature of reality, as close as possible to ourselves there's gonna be a we're still operating within the larger unknown and that's that practice of surrender of humility 
right? It's so many things and it's not just a one and done type of deal, right? It's a constant practice. It's an ongoing practice. And to be, I think, in this energy of surrendering to the unknown while still investigating and inquiring and exploring the truth and the nature of reality and ourselves is a it's a beautiful practice of staying open but you know not so open that our brains fall out (laughs) so have an open mind but you know not not so open that your brains fall out but you know being discerning so anyway i will leave you with that and um thank you for hanging out with me today i love sharing all this with you i would love to hear your thoughts about it so you can shoot me an email um or you can find me on instagram and we will talk soon till next time bye Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Authentic Life Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Seeking with Satwa on Instagram. Seeking with Satwa is an international spiritual development brand that has helped thousands of seekers heal, grow, and consciously evolve on their journeys. To learn more about my work, to sign up for my authentic life newsletter, to read my blog posts, or to work with me one-on-one, visit my website at seekingwithsatwa.com. Stay tuned for some exciting new updates, offerings, and guest speakers coming your way soon. Until next time, keep going, keep growing, keep seeking and speaking your truth so that you can finally live an authentic life. Oh,